In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray the two prayers that the angel of peace taught the children at Fatima. If you know them, please feel free to join in praying. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly. I offer you the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, truly present in all the tabernacles throughout the world, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifferences by which he is offended, and through the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg thee of the conversion of poor sinners. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. I ask pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. Most sacred heart of Jesus, immaculate heart of Mary, St. John Paul II, St. Francisco and St. Jacinta. Pray for us. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I'm so glad to see so many of you this morning, and thank you for sticking around after that beautiful procession. I don't know about you, but I'm a little warm, but it was uh, well worth it and beautiful, and now we have some background music. It's just, it's so good, um, you know, to get to be together like this, and I kind of alluded to this in the homily a little bit, but I have to tell you, you know, just (laughs) in putting together a talk for our own local Eucharistic Congress, uh, I hate to tell you how late I was doing this, but it's like, I was just wondering, like, what, what should I speak on, you know? And this was yesterday, by the way. I wish I had it done, like, weeks ago, but uh, I procrastinate. It's what I do. No, and just, you know, you get busy and all the other things that are going on. And, you know, it's funny because in talking with different folks in the office, with my dad, other people, it's like, ah, just pull out an old talk that you've given before and this and that. Well... I don't think that's really good anyway. I don't like that with homilies. I don't think it really works. Um, and I will say, I mean, I looked at different things and stuff that has, has gone on, um, but I remembered the words of Father Peter Cameron, who's the former uh, editor-in-chief for the Magnificat, wonderful priest, and he said, nothing is more boring than answering a question that no one has asked. It's like, well, that's a good point. He said that, like, to, to think about that whenever you're preparing a homily. And I thought, you know, it's important today, I think, to reflect specifically on this occasion of the Eucharistic Congress locally, you know, having it right here. And I mean, I talked about that in the homily as well, but I want to spend some more time kind of reflecting on you know, what we have, you know, what we have right here at Sacred Heart. And as I, as I was saying before, you know, I would happily move to Fatima, you know, if it came up. Like, if there was some reason I needed to go be a chaplain, you know, there at the big basilica and just hear confessions all day and just be there, I would love it. And I think the reason, I remember being asked this, it was by Mary and Ted Bland not too long ago, you know, why? Like, what is, what is it about Fatima that, that you like so much? And it's kind of like the foundation I was talking about. There's, it's kind of hard to put it into words. I really, really do love the great big layout of the basilica and the place where Mary appeared to the shepherd children, the beautiful church, what they call the Capolina, which is this little place, um, this little chapel. Capolina literally means little chapel, built over the very site where Mary appeared. And now there's a little tabernacle there, and you can pray there 24 hours a day. And that's all lovely. But the thing about that particular spot in Fatima 
like a lot of places. I've had the, the blessing to go to Guadalupe and, you know, where our Blessed Mother appeared to Juan Diego. Now there's this major basilica and there's tons of people. And it's kind of like that in Fatima in the main kind of like square at the basilica where everything happened with Mary appearing. But I think one of the things that I love so much about that place is once you get like a hundred yards from where she appeared, you get out into the country really quickly. Like you're in the countryside where the shepherd children were. You're out there by the well where the angel of peace appeared to them and told them to be praying and preparing themselves for something very special that was happening. And even later on, you know, they're kind of messing around, still not really taking it seriously. He appeared again and said, what are you doing? Like, come on, you got to get to praying. And to see that that happened in just this beautiful countryside, and you can walk to their parish church, St. Anthony's, uh, there, uh, it's outside of Fatima. I forget the name of the little town. I think it's Algestrel. Uh, but where the children were baptized, where little St. Francisco would sneak away from the crowds and hide in their ambo. So, I mean, imagine, you know, I have this right here in front of me, the ambo. Imagine a little guy, like, sneaking into the church and sitting here for, like, five hours a day just so he could be close to the tabernacle. That's what little Francisco did to run away from the crowds. And the thing is, St. Anthony's, it's nice, but, I mean, it's not like some incredible basilica it's just a lovely little country parish. And the only thing that really sets all this apart is you know who lived there, you know what happened, and now there's statues of the three shepherd children out in front, but there's also a little courtyard by this parish of a statue of one of their pastors who had been there for decades. And so it's just like day-to-day life, you know, it's just this, this normal place. And I remember one time asking the kids at school mass, to consider the fact of, you know, are you called to be a saint? Can you imagine one day a statue of you standing out in front of Sacred Heart Catholic Church? And I don't say it's like try to puff up pride or anything like that, but it's that reality that God comes to us in our day-to-day lives, that we're so blessed that we don't have to go, and I know it's kind of ironic using Fatima as an example, you don't have to go to the other side of the world to encounter our Lord. The fact of the matter is, we're all called to be saints. We're all called to be holy. We're all called to strive for that right here and now. And the fact of the matter is, God doesn't just give that opportunity to some at a particular time and, you know, in time and space. It's not as though we had to have lived in 1917 on the other side of the Atlantic to have had the opportunity to grow in holiness? No, it's right here and right now. And you may have noticed in, during uh, Eucharistic Prayer 3 today, at the beginning of this talk, I referenced three saints. Um, there's one I'm looking forward to throwing in there too someday, but she's still just a, I think she's venerable now, but uh, I said St. Francisco and St. Jacinta. I think it's just uh, servant of God, Lucia, at this point, but she's on her way. And then, of course, the great St. John Paul II, and I've been trying to call attention to him more and more here lately. Uh, one, I read a book recently, and apparently 
his name is really powerful in exorcisms because he kept messing up all of the plans of the devil at the end of the 20th century. So that's fantastic. But also, I mean, for a lot of us, he was the Holy Father for a huge portion of our life. I mean, he was the Holy Father from 78 to 2005. He told us time and time again not to be afraid and became you know, so much a part of all of our lives. I mean, I love Pope Benedict XVI, but I remember when he stepped in as the new Holy Father, it took me a while to warm up to him. It's like, who are you? You know, what are you doing stepping in? You're not the Pope. You know, but of course, I didn't mean it in a heretical way. It's just, you're, you're, you're attached to someone, right? And there was this beauty of knowing that, you know, he was so strong. He lived the faith. He lived it under the harshest of conditions, living under both the Nazi and the communist oppression in Poland. And yet, what came from that is this incredible man who countless times pointed us again and again to Jesus Christ, telling us again and again to let him into our life, to remind us not to be afraid. And of course, he, living under real oppression and fear, knew what the greatest strength was. And I would say the, you know, oppression and fear that face us today, they're very much different. I mean, I don't think I'm being recorded in the confessional by communists, which happened to him. Um, I know that, you know, the attacks from the outside are very much different, but the beautiful thing is, it's the same Christ who's with us. And so to get to do this here today, I would just say is that, you know, I go through a few points that I want to just kind of draw your attention to, I think what I'm ultimately hoping for, uh, you know, is the, the goal of a talk like this, is to ultimately make it so it's not just today. You know, it's not just today that we're taking a little bit of time. You know, it's like we look forward to the Eucharistic Congress, and hey, retreat times are key, and I know it's probably a hard thing this year not getting to go down to Charlotte, because I know a lot of people love to go to confession at the Eucharistic Congress, because there's you know, a hundred priests here in confessions and you can go to anybody and everybody. And by the way, Father Marcel will be here on Tuesday if you don't want to go to me. It's fine. No offense taken. It's just great, you know, but it's, it's good that we can do that and it's good to step aside, but I love the fact that we get to do this here because in the same way that St. Anthony's Church just outside of Fatima was a parish setting that's still a parish to this day that provided the setting for what happened to those shepherd children a hundred years ago, we have that setting too, folks. You know, and plus, we're super blessed here at Sacred Heart. I mean, we just did a Eucharistic procession outside. And you know how many police officers I had to call? You know how many people's uh, permission I had to ask from the city? You know, you know how many firefighters and whatever plant? None! We can go outside and do that. We have our own cemetery because of the work of so many, some of them present right now. We have all of these things around us where we can be quiet and stop and recognize the reality that's in our midst, that we have Jesus Christ with us all the time in the Eucharist. And I would say my ultimate goal in having this time today, and I'm grateful to Bishop Jugas for asking all of us to take some time today to have our own version of the Eucharistic Congress. And just like our, everybody's COVID protocols, they're all a little bit different, but they're all rooted in the same thing. Uh, I'm grateful that we get to do this and be here in our own place to go through, you know, being recommitted to loving who we have in our midst. Now, I want to share with you just to kind of 
set the scene, so to speak. A favorite quote of mine from uh, an author by the name of John Sr. Uh, he wrote uh, two books called The Death of Christian Culture and also The Restoration of Christian Culture. Wonderful books. In fact, last night when I was pulling this quote out, I started to read the book again and I need to go back and read it because it's fantastic and I haven't read it for like 15 years. But it, it says this in this quote, as long as doing what we will does not mean doing his will, we simply will not see the fact of God's existence and presence. God is not an idea or a theory to be demonstrated or a symbol to be translated into the latest style or even an ideal of perfection. He is a person really existing here and now, ubique semper idem, everywhere, always the same. And as he exists, he works. You can know that God is by philosophy and who he is by faith, but to know him as he is, to walk and talk with him as the old hymn says, is to practice what the spiritual writers call custody of the heart, to glance within ourselves and see. Be still and know that I am God. This is not to study or to teach just another subject in the curriculum, but to place God where he is, at the beginning and end of every work, and to live in him, reminded of him all day long, so that a woman may touch her wedding ring in the middle of her household cares and say, my Lord, my husband, and our God. And I love that quote for so many reasons, but I just think that that idea of we need to make sure that we're never stepping aside from the love of God. Obviously, he's closer to us than we are to ourselves. He is ubiquere semper idem, everywhere and always the same, always present. But as we all know from our own personal relationships, we may be physically present, but then totally absent from someone if we're not you know, doing the work of being present, of making sure that we're taking the time to stop and recognize the people who are in our life. And the first and foremost one of all is our Lord, to make sure that we're stopping each and every day to spend time with him. And I think the thing that I'm hoping, and I, I've been striving for this myself, to kind of get beyond in some ways, is you know, recognizing that prayer is not just something that we occasionally do. It's not just part of the checklist, but it's part of the very breath and soul of who we are. And I think sometimes it's easy to get into the trap of thinking, well, I have to have a million things that are perfectly set up before I can enter into prayer. Or I finally got to get to that point where I can totally focus uh, or I just can't enter into prayer. Well, think about it this way. If you compare that to conversation between a husband and a wife, like, honey, I'm not going to talk to you until I can totally focus on you and think of nothing else. Well, if that's the case, you're probably never going to talk to each other, right? I mean, there's always things going on in our mind. There's always peripheral things. And frankly, we don't always have the ability of being totally focused. Uh, I heard, and this was one of the blessings of being in quarantine, I got to watch uh, a, a retreat for priests from the St. Paul Biblical Center, and they had a priest, Father Boniface Hicks, give several talks on prayer. And he said something that I know, but at the same time, it's like you forget so easily. He said, you got to remember, you know, that God created us as human beings. He didn't create us as angels. 
He knows that we're human. He knows that we have human minds with human failings, that, you know, we get tired. We get hungry. We have to stop occasionally and stretch our legs. He knows that because he gave us all of these things. You don't have to think that in order to come to adoration, you need to essentially be able to levitate above the pew and be you know, laser-like focused on the Blessed Sacrament for a full 30 minutes. It's not exactly like that. What he wants is you. He wants you to be present. He wants you to share the ups and the downs, the joys, the sorrows, the petitions, all of the different things from your life with him. And that's why, frankly, I mean, I think he stays with us all the time. That he remains in our midst is because he wants you to come and spend time with him. And you don't have to wait till you get to some unreal place that he didn't really create you to get to in some ways to get here, right? I mean, there are going to be concerns and struggles, but one of the most brilliant sort of analogies I heard for this was when I was in seminary, just one other seminarian randomly threw it out, uh, now Father Ben Mullenkamp, talking about his holy hour. He said, you know, and I think it was just like at the lunch table, and I've told you things we say at the lunch table in seminary. We were a bunch of nerds. It was great. But he said, he said, you know, when I go in for my holy hour, I feel like I'm normally carrying in a bunch of knots, like a big ball of knots, and I just sit there. And by the end, our Lord kind of takes it and just sort of undoes the knots. And I thought, that's so good. Because how many of us, it's like, oh, I don't want to show him my knots, you know? I mean, I, I'm, I, I need to be perfect for it. No. Ultimately, he wants to help you with the knots that are in our day-to-day life. And I want to share with you uh, something else that I recently came across. In fact, there's a, a parishioner gave me this book. Um, it's called The Apostolate of Holy Motherhood. Which sounds like an interesting thing for a priest to read. Well, it was a series of revelations to uh, a, an unknown lady. They don't ever share her name. They just call her Miriamante, which means lover of Mary. And Jesus and our Blessed Mother appeared to her for a series of months uh, back in 1987. And everybody that recommends this, I trust very much uh, from what I've seen. I had never heard of it before. But there's a lot of things about priests in here too that frankly really cut me to the heart. But one of the things I wanted to share with you is a line from our Lord that he shared uh, with this woman. He said this, this is the words of Jesus. I wish to hear adoration and praise from the lips of my children. This is heard all too seldom by me, as many spend much of their time in prayer of petition asking for favors. Yes, it is true. I desire to help all my little ones, but have you no time for your creator alone? Must you always be thinking of others while speaking to me? I yearn to hear the sweet and kind words of my children and my beloved ones. Would you neglect me so? See the wound in my heart, how it bled for thee. For each one of thee individually I endured the cross. Yet so many think of me only when in need of help. I ask of you only one thing, that is, return love for love. And it's just so beautiful. It's, you know, he, he wants you. And, you know, I think sometimes too, I, mean, I know I fall into this trap, where it's like I, I don't want to come and talk to him until I've got it all worked out. You know, until I can come to him and say, hey, look what I did. You know, we had 600 people at the procession today. You know, that's not what he cares about. And I will tell you one other thing, just as an aside. One of the great benefits 
of celebrating Mass ad orientum is that recognition that there could be a church full of people or it could just be me and my guardian angel and it's the same Mass. Jesus Christ is here. What does he want? He wants our love. Uh, as our blessed, or as uh, uh, Mother Teresa used to say, you know, God doesn't ask us to be successful. He asks us to be faithful. And that faithfulness means coming to know him, coming to know that he is our God, that he is a person who wants our love, who wants us to be with him. And this is kind of continuing that same quote. Another piece that just sort of cuts me to the heart. He says this, be kind to one another and do all out of love and you will be made pleasing in my sight. My children spend so much time with one another, yet so little time with me. I wish for this to change. For you will not find the answers in one another, only in me. You must come to the source of all knowledge and goodness in order to spread true love and devotion throughout the world. I ask that you visit me in the most blessed sacrament each day for a time and spend this time alone in adoration and praise of me in this most holy sacrament of love. This will bring you ever closer to me and allow me to give, give to you the love I wish to share with all my children. And I just love that. I mean, and it's so true, isn't it? You know, my children spend so much time with one another, yet so little time with me. I wish for this to change, for you will not find the answers in one another, only in me. And I'll tell you, I've kind of learned that a little bit more over the last year. One of the, I think, biggest helps to my own spiritual life, and, and I didn't see this coming at all. And when we started looking at getting a new rectory, which we did back in November, uh, at first, it was like, well, I have to have a chapel in the house. I mean, it's a rectory. I'm a priest. I got to have that place to go and pray in the house. Because in the old rectory over by the hospital on Colony Road, we did. I was 10 minutes away. I was right by the hospital. I needed to have the Blessed Sacrament right there. And that was where I made my holy hour every morning. Well, that changed right at about a year ago. We were starting to pack up the old rectory to move right across the street into Milford Hills. And what changed? Well, I don't have space for a chapel in the house now. I have to have a guest room uh, for when I have those uh, freeloading seminarians coming. I'm just kidding, I love them. But when they come, you know, there, there has to be a place. There's no space to have a standalone chapel all the time. So I was like, well, I guess I'm just, you know, I'm just gonna have to figure it out at the church. And I don't know if you know this, Mr. Dillon does. We're here at the same time every morning, it's great. But over here behind the main celebrant's chair, I have my kneeler set up, a little chair, a little lamp, and my books. So I've been coming every morning, you know, about an hour before the first Mass of the day, to be here in the church praying before the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And I don't know why, but it's changed everything. There's something about, you know, making the effort of getting up, getting ready, and coming here to the church good and early. You know, it's like getting here at like 10 till 6. You know, to be here for an hour with our Lord. Now, granted, I'm not saying everybody, okay, an hour every day. It's not that. We all have our different vocations. We're all at different places. But there's something about being in this place where the holy sacrifice of the Mass takes place, where we celebrate the great joys of our parish and baptisms and first communions and confirmations and weddings, where we have some of our greatest sorrows and the funerals that we celebrate here. And the fact that we are all together with Christ to just be with him in his presence, it's been incredible. 
And it's one of those things now. I'm just going to go ahead and jump to the, the big quote I had saved for the conclusion because I'm jumping all over the place today and I kind of like it. But it's, it's one of those things that has changed, I think, the way that I come in here. And I share this with you because I want you to have this too. This is a quote from Father Pedro Arupe, who is the Superior General of the Society of Jesus for years. He said this, Nothing is more practical than finding God, than, following, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning. What you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. And the fact of the matter is, we have love incarnate with us. And if you make the central aspect of your day coming to spend time with him, loving him, and this is, I mean, the main reason I wanted to read that quote, what will get you out of bed in the morning, right? I don't like getting up early. I liked the nine o'clock mass for a long time. But what makes it okay when my alarm goes off before 5 a.m. is that I get to come here. And it's funny because I've been here for six years now. You know how sometimes, you know, you start to get in the routine. I really look forward to being here. Why? Because he's here. And I've come to learn, and I think, too, having the space that I come to pray. I know people have, like, their favorite pew, right? I hope you've kind of gotten to go to your favorite spot or your favorite spot outside. By the way, I love the fact that when I get here at, like, 6.15 on Sunday morning, there's already a few lawn chairs set up. It's great to see. It's just fun. I mean, it's like, you know, going to a concert or a baseball game and getting your seat. It's wonderful. But, you know, it's like knowing that you're here to love him, to be with him. And as he says, it's like so often we go to each other with our problems, which is not a, a huge, you know, like, like he's saying never do that. But how often we forget to take our ball of knots and go to Christ himself, who stays in our midst all the time. And there have been several times over the last several months, you know, especially with the ups and the downs of the pandemic, the difficulties that are going on in the world, you know, everybody's got their own family issues and hardships and friends that are, that are dying and things like that. And I can't tell you, there have, there have been a handful of times where I just feel devastated and I come in here and it's like, I know, I need to just be in here and just sit. And all of a sudden, it's not as though the problems are just gone, but they're bearable. And why is that? It's because he stays with us, right? That our Lord is in our midst and not just in a symbolic way, right? Not just, you know, at this particular place in the Holy Land, but right here in Salisbury on Lumen Christi Lane. We know that we can be right there with him. St. Paul VI put it in this way, and I really love this. He said, the sacramental representation of Christ's sacrifice crowned by the resurrection in the Mass, involves a most special presence which, in the words of St. Paul VI, is called real. Not as a way of excluding all other types of presence, as if they were not real, but because it is a presence in the fullest sense, a substantial presence, whereby Christ, the God-man, is holy and entirely present. 
and you can feel it, you know? And like I said, I, I, it's like the foundation. I can't tell you all the time that I'm like grateful that our church is built on a strong foundation. Although I will tell you when, you know, bricks collapse outside, I know it's like, doggone it, well, we gotta deal with this now. You know, I mean, there's always things that come up, right? But stronger than anything is that love of Christ, that real presence of knowing that he's here, that we get to participate you know, in his body, blood, soul, and divinity, in his sacrifice on Calvary, in his resurrection, and all of it together is present there for us. I'm going to read for you a little bit of a longer quote here from uh, a document from St. John Paul II called Ecclesia de Eucharistia. Highly recommend it, and I'm going to botch the opening line, but, you know, literally, it, if you just translate the Latin literally, you know, it's the Church of the Eucharist. But he says something like, you know, from the very heart of the Eucharist comes the church. I mean, it's this, it's this powerful way of saying why we even exist in the first place. You know, why we build such an ornate, beautiful building is because of that little box right there. And it's not just the box, of course. It's the very heart of existence that's right in the middle of it, Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And St. John Paul II, in his beautiful way, says it like this. When the church celebrates the Eucharist, the memorial of her Lord's death and resurrection, this central event of salvation becomes really present and the work of our redemption is carried out. The sacrifice is so decisive for the salvation of the human race that Jesus Christ offered it and returned to the Father only after he had left us a means of sharing in it as if we had been present there. This aspect of the universal charity of the Eucharistic sacrifice is based on the words of the Savior himself. In instituting it, he did not merely say, this is my body, this is my blood, but went on to add, which is given for you, which is poured out for you. Jesus did not simply state that what he was giving them to eat and drink was his body and his blood. He also expressed its sacrificial meaning and made sacramentally present his sacrifice, which would soon be offered on the cross for the salvation of all. The Mass is at the same time and inseparably the sacrificial memorial in which the sacrifice of the cross is perpetuated and the sacred banquet of communion with the Lord's body and blood. I mean, it's just such an incredible thing. And we hear those words all the time, right? You know, this is my body, this is my blood. And we can say... You know, anyone out there, like, yeah, I mean, what we have here is incredible. It's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. It's true, but he's so right. How often do we think about that which is given up for you? And he says it to you, he says it to me, he says it each and every day, that as in all of the chapels throughout the world of the missionaries of charities, Mother Teresa's sisters, right underneath one of the arms of the cross, it always says, I thirst. And that's the line that Mother Teresa you know, translated to mean that he thirsts for our souls, for our salvation. And the thing is, I mean, we so often are tempted to think of salvation just off in the future, just as something that we're working toward. But the reality of the matter is, we get the foretaste of it now. I mean, there's a reason why at the Holy Sacrifice in the Mass, we reference our Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, all of the angels and saints because we're participating with them. We're beginning to get a foretaste of heaven. 
And we know that as we go about our day-to-day tasks, which we must go about, I mean, we have to go out there into the world. But my brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't separate out the rest of our days from what we have right here. We've got to hunger and long for him because he'll satisfy that hunger. If we make the effort, if we come to him, he will provide. He can't be outdone in generosity. And it's not just, you know, I do this, he gives me that. It's that he wants that relationship. And a relationship is the type of thing that you grow with what? Time. You grow with, you know, that love and affection. That, you know, it's sort of like uh, looking at a married couple who loves each other more after 50 years than they did on the day that they were married. It doesn't look exactly the same, but there is a depth there. A depth that is, that is real and has grown and has been strengthened by the cross and the slings and the arrows that come from life and yet this knowledge of the love that continues to grow, that they can only give to each other by being with each other more and more all the time. Another quote from Ecclesia de Eucharistia, he says, incorporation into Christ, which is brought about by baptism, is constantly renewed and consolidated by sharing in the Eucharistic sacrifice, especially by that full sharing which takes place in sacramental communion. We can say not only that each of us receives Christ, but also that Christ receives each of us. He enters into friendship with us. You are my friends, he says in the Gospel of John. Indeed, it is because of him that we have life. He says, he who eats me will live because of me. Eucharistic communion brings about in a sublime way the mutual abiding of Christ in each of his followers. Abide in me and I in you. And I think that's one of those things where our world is lacking that so much that we're interconnected you know, so much with our social media. And I'm not going to start knocking social media. It has its benefits. Hey, I wonder how many of you found out we're doing this today because of Facebook, right? I mean, we have it out there and it's helpful and I think there are probably people watching on Facebook Live. Fantastic. But it's not a mutual abiding. It's not a deeper and deeper growing together. And when you stop and think about the fact that it's the God of the universe, you know, who wants us to abide with him, And he wants to abide with us. I guess the message that I'm trying to get across, very poorly I'm sure, is that that salvation that we all long for isn't just somewhere off in the future. That it's offered to us right here in a real place each and every day. And if we bring to him the knots of the day-to-day life, If we bring to him, and not just our concerns, as he said, not just our petitions for one another, but to be there with him and just to say, you know, reveal my life to me. Help me to understand what you're doing. Help me to see what's going on. And help me just to love you. It's like St. John Vianney coming to the man who kept coming in from the fields day in and day out to spend time in adoration before the Blessed Sacrament. He'd say, what are you doing? And the guy said, I look at him and he looks at me. And to know that we have that same opportunity, that any day of the week we can come into this church and we can look at him and he can look at us. And I would say too that it's kind of begun to shape part of the way that we do the scheduling here at the parish. We have to have that weekly adoration, that Wednesday night through the night into the morning on Thursday morning. 
to be with him and to have that special time where he's exposed in the Blessed Sacrament, there on the altar. Have a time to step aside from the very often artificiality of the world, of the constant crises, and to recognize that that foundation of his love is right there. And to make that a part of our day-to-day experience. You know, why we have the First Friday Adoration. Why we have Mass each and every day. Why we offer confessions every day. Why, you know, it's like everything, and obviously, I mean, it's, we could always do more. And hopefully, you know, with time, we'll figure out how to do that. But everything is shaped around trying to build the relationship. Of recognizing who we have in our midst all the time. And that we don't just have to wait for the future for salvation, but that he's right there offering it to us here and now. One final quote from St. John Paul II. He says, If the Eucharist is a mystery of faith, which so greatly transcends our understanding, as to call for sheer abandonment to the word of God, then there can be no one like Mary to act as our support and guide in acquiring this disposition. In repeating what Christ did at the Last Supper in obedience to his command, do this in memory of me, we also accept Mary's invitation to obey him without hesitation. As she said at the wedding feast of Cana, do whatever he tells you. With the same maternal concern which she showed at the wedding feast of Cana, Mary seems to say to us, do not waver. Trust in the words of my son. If he was able to change water into wine, He can also turn bread and wine into his body and blood. And through this mystery, bestow on believers the living memorial of his Passover, thus becoming the bread of life. I would just say with our Blessed Mother in mind, remember, as St. John Paul II references the wedding feast to Cana, she's the one who notices first that they have no wine. You don't hear from the bride and groom. They come running up to Mary. We don't know what to do. I mean, she's the one who notices ahead of time They have no wine. And so for us to step aside, to have a devotion to our Blessed Mother, who is a mother to us, given to us by our Lord, to come and to stay close to her, to take her hand and walk continually more and more toward salvation, deeper and deeper into love with her son, she knows what we need before we even need it. She knows to tell him they have no wine, and then she turns to us and says, do whatever he tells you. And so in our day-to-day lives, we know that we need that advice constantly, that we need to be reminded time and time again, do whatever he tells you. The thing is about, you know, a talk like this, a time like this, spending time in our parish, it's not fireworks, which by the way, we delayed until October, so be looking forward to that. I'm very excited about the fireworks. But it's the fact that day-to-day, we have the opportunity to grow ever closer to our Lord. And he wants us to spend time with him. And even if it's a small amount that we send, you know, just to pop in for 5, 10, 15 minutes, the beautiful thing is, is it will continue to grow. If I knew what my prayer life would be like as a priest 10 years in, when I first started, I would have freaked out. I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't think it was possible to spend, you know, this much time to have to get up at this hour and all this. And I say that in no way, in some sort of a bragging way. In fact, I'm saying I'm kind of embarrassed. I still don't get up very well. I don't go to bed very well. I stay up way too late sometimes and it's ridiculous. And then I get up and I'm tired and these things happen. But the fact of the matter is he gives you the grace. 
and he reveals to you the mysteries that are going on in your life. I want to share one with you because it kind of helped me to get ready for this today. So I got invited to one of our fifth graders' birthday parties last night. She just turned 11, and she lives in my neighborhood. And so I got to walk over there to have a piece of cake at her birthday. And she and four or five of her friends, in the middle of the party, start chanting, JP2, we love you. JP2, we love you. And then they said, JP2 loves you. So I didn't know where that was coming from. It was incredible. I almost started crying. So one of their teachers, uh, yesterday or the day before, you know, I guess they have a pump-up YouTube video as religion class starts, and he showed them American pilgrims at St. Peter's Square in Rome cheering for John Paul II, and then you hear his strong Polish saintly voice over the whole crowd say, JP2 loves you. It was awesome. And there they are at their birthday party, and which the little girl is so excited because she got the jeans that she wanted. So these are real children, right? And they're excited to eat birthday cake. And what are they doing? They're chanting, JP2 loves you. And then talking about their debate of who would be their class patron saint, which turns out to be St. Maria Goretti, by the way, because one of the other classes had already stolen St. Mother Teresa. You know, the difficulties of fifth grade, it's tough. But, you know, to know these sort of things, to know the fact that this goes on, you know, if all we did was spend time watching social media, watching the 24-7 news cycle, watching these sort of things, if all we did was live out there, you know, those sort of things can fly right by us, right? We can so easily get depressed and get down and think, ah, oh, there's no way. But the reality is Christ stays in our midst. Do I know what's coming yet? No, I have no idea. You know, but at the same time, you know, we just had St. Gregory the Great on September the 3rd. He was the Holy Father as Rome was crumbling around him. There was a plague going on, and I think it was harsher than COVID. You know, all of these different things that were happening, and you know what? The world didn't end. Christ continued on. He's called the Great for a reason because he clung to our Lord. And that's what we've got to do too. We've got the same thing that all of the great saints have always had. And not just the same thing, the same person. We have everything we need to continue on. We have everything we need to convert the culture. And as much as the devil wants to pull us down and tell us about all the knots and tell us that it's never going to work and all of these different things, we can tell him to go to hell, you know, because we have Jesus Christ in our midst. And if we don't cling to him, if we don't abide in that friendship that St. John Paul II was talking about, how are we going to do it? How are we going to experience that salvation here and now? And so what I would say, and you know, this is all coming from the heart. I didn't write out a transcript. I pulled together some of my favorite quotes from Ecclesia de Eucharistia. Why? Because ultimately, if nothing else, like, hey, we all just need to fall in love with Christ more and more, right? And falling in love isn't something you just make a command. Like, hey, Maria, fall in love, come on. You know, no, you can't do, it's, it doesn't work that way. But we have the foundation all around us to make that happen. And so we don't need to live our lives another day away from that, right? Wallowing in the sadness and despair that surrounds us. And it's not optimism. In fact, and I would say pray for the repose of his soul, 
Father Paul Mankowski, a wonderful Jesuit who just passed away uh, last week, wrote wonderful things and was a very strong, challenging sort of guy, challenged a lot of the corruption in our modern church, but at the same time lived the poverty that he promised when he made his orders. Read some of the things that he wrote. It's fantastic. He said something at the end of a couple of his speeches, and he was quoting someone else. I forget who it was, but he said essentially this. At this point in time, I have no reason for optimism. I have every reason for hope, and I love that. And I would tell you that, yes, are there crazy things going around? Do we need to be Pollyanna? No, we don't. But you know what we have? Every reason for hope. Because Jesus Christ stays in our midst. He's not going anywhere. He's right here all the time and continues to give us himself in the sacraments. Don't let a day go by that you don't participate in his salvation. That you don't enter in more and more into his friendship. That you don't take the opportunity to grow more and more. Because he's right here. Are there knots? Are there struggles that each one of us have? Yes. But bring them to him. Let him undo them. We don't just have to go to one another. We can't give what we don't have. We need to stay with him. And when we do that, he'll give us everything that we need, namely himself. We have our Blessed Mother for help. We have all the saints, St. John Paul II, St. Mother Teresa, the children from Fatima. We've got all that we need to make sure that we cling to him and continue to share him with everyone whom we encounter. Praise be Jesus Christ. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. We'll have benediction in just a moment.